Finding the right cleat can be transformative. Believe me, I've worn plenty during my career. So getting the right balance is crucial. The cleat needs to feel good on your foot, but also feel good connecting with the ball. The New Balance Furon 7 Plus is built with both of those points in mind, offering overall comfort and precise striking in the game's fastest moments. Because, as I learned the hard way, because I didn't possess much of it, speed matters in soccer. That's why the Furon 7 Plus is built for accuracy and precision at rapid pace and is engineered specifically for use on firm ground. Why is this the ideal cleat, I hear you ask? Well, not to get too scientific, but the Furon 7 Plus offers a lightweight yet supportive hypo-knit with mesh lining upper construction and is paired with offset lacing for a truer strike of the ball, which is a long way of me saying that your game will immediately get better when these are on your feet. Learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. Charlie Chuck D. Davies has turned in the chuck wagon for his yacht, and apparently his yacht doesn't get good Wi-Fi. I guess he's out by the Hamptons. I don't know where these celebrity types like to hang out in the northeast of this country. Anyway, today we're talking about our U-20 national team and their current run in the U-20 CONCACAF championship. And we're going to talk about some relatively big news concerning the futures of Zach Steffen and Wesley McKinney. But first, let's hear from Mr. Hollywood himself, Keith Pierce. What's up, dude? Not a whole lot, man. It's good. To, it's good to be back on. You know that that uh, the, the Monday to Thursday gap it can be a little bit long for me at times. Too when, much in the world of news, and I guess that's the upside of what's going on in, in just our world of uh, of uh, U.S. U.S. men's national team, U.S. soccer. Just generally, there's just so much happening now. So much more hype. So much more to pay attention to because now transfer windows matter. Now off yeah, seasons yeah, matter. Yeah. Now. MLS seasons matter. Now, youth national team things matter. And I think that's just a great validator for where we're going. Okay. So let's talk about the U20s. And okay. if Charlie Davies does find a way to get some Wi Fi work and we can pop them on, we will. I just want to throw that out there. The U20s are coached by Mikey Varas. He selected 20 players and four alternates to represent the US at the U20 CONCACAF Championship. I want to give everybody some context because this is an important tournament. Uh, these, these, also, if you want to feel old, the players that are eligible for this are born on or after January 1st, 2003. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 14 of these players that are on the roster of this 24, the 20 plus the alternates, were born in 2003. Eight were born in 2004. And we have two that were born in 2005. Now, of these 24 on the roster, Heath, four of them are from the Philadelphia Union Academy mm-hmm. and seven other MLS clubs overall. And three are based abroad in Belgium, Croatia, and Portugal. Also, fun fact, 12 states are represented on the roster with California, Heath. Me and you are from California, leading the way with seven. So shout out to those California kids. Now, here's the format, and then I want to get your thoughts on all this. Uh, There are 20 teams in total, but four of those 20 teams got to buy into the round of 16. We are not one of them, which I find odd. Either was Mexico, but we're going to play one of them in the next round, Nicaragua. Now, Now, there were four, the remaining 16 teams, four groups of four. The top three advanced to the round of 16. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then it's single elimination. Now, what's interesting is, <clears throat> excuse me, the top four, the semifinalists, all four semifinalists automatically qualify. They get to the semifinals of this, automatically qualify for the U20 World Cup next year in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. If you get to the final and you're the, one of the two finalists, you automatically qualify for the Olympics in 2024. So it's a pretty 
important tournament, Heath Pierce. Yo, oh yeah, I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna finish it. I'm not the fact that we haven't qualified for an Olympics since. No, I think I think that's a a huge and an understatement of of the importance of this. And I think uh, the interesting part about this U20 camp so far, or most interesting, is it's been heavily rotated. Uh, the players coming in. The upside is, as you mentioned, there's a couple of five. So Obed Vargas is going to come in now for the knockout rounds, right. and we we all know him from from Seattle. Uh, an Alaska kid who's, you know, maybe Alaska is going to be the next hotbed for player development, but he'll be in. Uh, well, you've also got, uh, I, I think it's uh, Sakiris or Sakaris, who's from from San Jose playing with the Earthquakes. Uh, he's another young player that's been really steady uh, with, with this team. Also a player available for the next U20 cycle. But for this current group, um, yeah, they've got a lot to prove, obviously, uh, not at, not at the, uh, their fault, but but showing that we've got this pipeline, right? This show is a lot about the pipeline of players. We talked about who could break in. We're going to talk about that, who could be the next ones into the full men's national team. And yeah, we're seeing mixed performances across the board, mostly positive uh, performances, not necessarily representing the score lines. The US was very dominant against Canada from start to finish, including like 70% possession, one of those sort of 10 to 1 out shooting games, but Canada just ends up getting you know, a few half chances here and there on mistakes and capitalize on that and show a very different scoreline than maybe what the what the match uh, showed. But some really good, talented players that we're seeing come through this group right now. Uh, but certainly, the pressure begins now and, and what that means and what the implications are, one for the tw- under-20 World Cup, but also uh, the Olympics, as you mentioned. What I think is interesting is we beat St. Kitts and Nevis 10-0. So that game's mm-hmm. a bit of a wash. It's really hard to know and evaluate. The guys, you still got to go out there and perform, right? You can only play the team that's in front of you. We got the 2-2 result against Canada. We had to come back in those. Scored some great goals. Jack McGlynn and Cade Cowell both uh, scoring some, some bangers. So that's nice to see us. And the variety of goals that we're scoring, too, throughout this competition has been nice. And then what's interesting is going into the Cuba game, Cuba beat Canada and they beat St. Kitts and Nevis. Mm-hmm. So they actually had more points leading into that, that last game. And we came out and scored three goals in the first half. Quinn Sullivan had a hat trick in the first half and we put that game to bet. And I loved that. We have that type of mentality within the team. And not only cause you can have the mentality Heath, but do you have the players that can follow through and execute on that mentality? And it looks like that we do. And, and <clears throat> excuse me, we brought up a lot of players that, And this goes for everybody, but there's one player, Diego Luna, who I've really been appreciating this one. I thought he was excellent against Canada. He had both assists on the goals. But just his willingness to want to get the ball, and I'm using him as an example for the whole group. All of our guys seem really, really comfortable in tight spaces. All of us are looking to play forward, and and maybe not the back line so much, but I'm talking about our attacking players, our midfielders. It's such a good sign of growth, I think, because when I remember playing in CONCACAF Champions League or – whatever it was called previous to that. And we go down and play against like young club or young players from Mexican clubs. They were so good at just the basic stuff. You took mm-hmm. one thing away. Yeah, cool. They got it. They're going to figure it out. And I feel like we were always so impressed because of how good they were at that. <laughs> Dude, I don't know what's going on with my voice today, but this is what I'm seeing now more consistently from our younger group. It's just this ability, not only to, hold the ball up in tight spaces, but also to do something with it, not just play safe, but actually try to break lines with our running and with our passing. And I just love the vibrancy of this particular group. And I'd be really surprised they didn't end up winning this or at least booking our ticket to the final and going to the Olympics as well. Yeah, I agree. I think they should, they should at least reach, reach the final in this. And, and as, as I mentioned, it's been really hard to evaluate the players as a whole or holistically evaluate these players because there's been so much rotation in the squad, whether players come off at halftime, 
play a second half, play 30 minutes in a game. But you're seeing the depth and quality that we have and the, and, and the type of profile. And while it's all marginal gains with, with regard to that compared to former youth national teams and former U20 teams, what you're seeing now is, like you said, there, there's there's not just that raw talent that we're seeing of sort of un sort of uh, uh, unshaped potential uh, where you see flashes and things like that, like you see, do it all players that are that are that are uh, full of potential across the world at that age. Uh, but you're seeing a, a an emotional IQ. You're seeing a footballing intelligence that we, we haven't had. Right. And a lot of that is due to the fact that we've got professional academies that these players are coming in. You look at Luna as an example, a player that Real Salt Lake just bought uh, for, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to bring him in from, I think it was El Paso. Of that now trajectory of a player who's been in El Paso with, with I think, his locomotive in a very strong development environment, now going to RSL, an even better environment, still only 18 years old. You're seeing a lot of these things happen to players at these ages that were happening in the early 20s for the longest time in the mm -hmm. U.S. And I think mm -hmm. you're starting to see that come to fruition in in the ability to hit a decent range pass or a sharp pass, but not that we couldn't do that in the past, but more consistently, more mm -hmm, confidently, mm -hmm. knowing when to do that, the timing of it, the release, the, the 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 trajectory, the speed, all those little details of these players, including, like you said, the ability to get out of tight spaces, combination play, just the creativity and, looking and the for ability it, to execute. Right? Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so did you play for the U20s? I was not in a World Cup, but I was part of the U20s for for a few camps. Um, I took a sem semester off in college because we had the U20 World Cup at the time got delayed. It was supposed to be in UAE. It was postponed due to, I think, um, like threats uh, and, and stuff like that. Uh, this was in 2000. This would have been 2002. So this was post to 9-11. Uh, and, and so we took a semester off. So we had a lot of camps with the U20s where you're in camp and then you're out of camp. So I lived in Bradenton, was training with the MLS teams that came to town, and then I'd go into the U20 camp. So I had some experience with them, but right. was not what you would call like, you know, a Chad Marshall or something from my cycle that was like a U20 player through and through and sort of the, I guess, foundation of a team. But you played for the U17s. I did, yeah. I was in the residency program in Bradenton. That's right. Wow. Look at the special. I feel I feel special hanging out with it. Listen, you know, it's not tell. though. It's about 27 or 28. Because so. there's weird things that happen where I was cut from the first semester of, of, of camp. It was 18 players. And they increased it to 20. They brought me back in. And I was always a bubble or a fringe player. Uh, ended up breaking my leg before the U17 World Cup. Probably wouldn't have made it. U20 World Cup ended up getting a number of... Uh, uh, ended up getting this period of time where my whole body broke down where they thought I had uh, lymphoma. And getting all these tests, ended up ending up with mono, developed asthma, uh, you know, got shingles in the summer. And then my body just broke down for a period, ended up being pushed out of the, the U20 World Cup. This was during a period when we had a guy named Zach Whitbread, who was with Liverpool at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, Jordan Harvey was still in the mix. Shafiq Simo was sort of emerging on the scene before his car accident. So there was a, there was a number of players as I was becoming a left back at the University of Portland. So, again, very... My, my youth national teams were very embedded in, 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 I mean, my experiences were very embedded in the youth national teams, but they, I was never again, one of those players that was a youth national team star or potential you, or was being looked at as like a, this player needs to go pro sooner than later. I was always on a different pathway than the young talents. Sure. No. And, and that's kind of the cool part is that there are a lot of different ways to get to the top and you, and you found a way to get there despite maybe not everything going your way. Was there any player you had on the U 17s or even with the U twenties when you had your time with them where you thought this guy is the best player I have ever seen. And then he didn't pan out. 
I mean, pan out is all is all relative, but you know, Santino Caranta was a super talent when we were in the U17s. Yeah, Tino was great. Uh, Craig Capano was a super talent in this oh, U17s. I forgot about him. Um, and then and then when you talk about the U20s, uh, Danny Carbassian was a player that, uh, well, even though he wasn't part of my U20 cycle because I think he was at 80, He went over 80. to Arsenal, though. Yeah, he was, he was like, at Arsenal, yeah. Had a bad injury um, and that's what screwed him. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, he was a player that, that, that never got to the potential that we saw. Just playing in one tournament. I played in one milk cup with him at, uh, at one point, and I was like, wow, this guy's unbelievable. And then... And then really it was like your usual suspects in our U20s. We had uh, Bobby Combi. We had, uh, Cent again, Santino Coranta. You had Eddie Johnson. Chad Marshall was sort of dominating the world at that point as like a six foot three, six foot four player. <laughs> very calm on the ball. Um, very just just a really dominant uh, center back at that age too. I'm trying to think who else in, in those U20 cycles was just – I'm just you know, curious. There, there were just guys that you, were, you. that you saw. And they were kind of – because I had gone from 17s to the 20s, they were most of them were on that trajectory as it was. Chad Marshall was in residency with us, things like that. Um, and it was weird because at the time and, – and this is actually an interesting conversation – is you're, you're talking about players born before or, I mean, on or after 2003, right? Right. Um, and that's, there was a U-20 World Cup in 2003, and Eddie Johnson was one of the top scorers of that competition. Yeah, Eddie Johnson was, was linked with, with, with everyone, including Manchester United and others that actually really, really wanted this guy. And he was, he was a really, really good player. There's also a guy named David Johnson who was playing in Holland at the time. Uh, that was a youth national team player. That was, that was really good. Um, but I guess what I was trying to, to, to get to, interestingly enough, that just came to my stream of consciousness, is the development back then, right? If you were in residency and you were a U17, you had to be born in 82 or 84 or 86 or 88, right? Every odd year, mm -hmm. which meant you're leaving out a year of players unless they were a top player. So we had Craig Capano. We had um, Josh Villalobos, who was also in the ac uh, car accident with, with – um, uh, our captain of the U-17s that passed away and, and Shafiq Simo back in college. Uh, but you had to be like a super talent to get into the older group because you had to be able to play up. Uh, otherwise, you missed a generation. So then you had your U-17s in residency training in a professional environment every single day. Now, the downside of the U-17 residency academy is you never got good games, right? Everybody else mm -hmm. may have been in mm -hmm. – if you were playing for Irvine Strikers – yeah, you 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 might not be uh, training at the same level, but you were playing against really good competition in Southern California right. regularly. We didn't get right. that on the national team, uh, but you got good training, and that was the, the 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 downside of that residency program compared to MLS academies now. But you had another generation who played in the U18s under like uh, I think it was Gelnovach was the coach there, who's maybe still Virginia's um, college I think he coach. Might be. Um, but so he had this 18s group and they'd get together once every couple months. And so you had these weird gaps in generations yeah. of players that was affecting uh, player development. Whereas now you, you've still got these kids that play up and you've still got the super talents, but you've got a much wider range of, of, of ages of, of player development because they're in environments that are that are nurturing them. I, mean, I, could, I could go in all day about this sort of I, player development, but I, like, I love it. I yeah. love it personally. Really that's kind of the take. Yeah. It is, and it's a it's a it's a it's a theme that I think is really important, especially as this continues to evolve here in this country. Now, I want to get into that. I'm just going to name the squad, a couple players from the 2003 U20 World Cup team, and we got we lost in the quarterfinals. Thomas Rongen was the coach, so there's a fun mm -hmm. fact for you. Uh, Eddie Johnson was one of the top scorers. Bobby Condi, Ricardo Clark, Freddie Adu, Mike McGee, Clint Dempsey, uh, just to name a few. Ned Grabavoy, who's now technical director of the Timbers, I think. So. Yeah, some some. Crazy, oh, Mike crazy McGee names. was unbelievable too at that age. Like Mike McGee could do anything he wanted for the ball. Mike McGee had more um, Andre Pirlo traits than anybody that I had seen in terms of like the tranquility on the ball. 
He, I think Mike started playing mean, soccer never when he was sprinting? like nine. <laughs> never sprinting. Always one speed, but you could never get it off of him. Uh, you you put him anywhere in and around the box. And Mike and I used to go out to the, the to a pitch and and just shoot. And Mike could do. And I think again, what I was getting, Mike started playing when he was like nine or ten years old. I think was the story uh, of Mike. But like he could do anything he wanted with the ball. He could put it top corner. He could move the ball around both feet. He just had this unbelievable ability to him. Yeah, naturally. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and obviously, uh, you know, in, ends up being a MLS MVP and, and, and all that stuff, but all, from a, from a potential standpoint was, was, was unbelievable. Yeah. But Clint Dempsey was a breakout, um, from that U 20 group as well. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny to go back and look at some of these names and, and just so everybody knows for some context with our U twenties in the last three world cups, we've gotten to the quarterfinals each time with Tab Ramos, uh, in charge of the group. So excellent job by him, especially as we were failing to qualify for Olympics. At least we had some. Some some type of positivity with our U20 group. Mm-hmm. Now, the team that I'm uh, looking back at the 2015 team that got to the quarterfinals, three wins, one draw, one loss. Just kind of lost at the wrong time, obviously, in the knockout rounds. But uh, it's interesting when I think about some of the names that are on here. We have Zach Steffen, Shaq Moore, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Miazga, Acosta, Ariola. Emerson Heinemann, what happened to that guy? Rubio Rubin, Marky Delgado, Eric Palmer Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are some some crazy names that have been together for, for quite some time. And uh, then if you jump into the 2017 squad, you got Eric Palmer Brown again, Eric Williamson, Tyler Adams, uh, Aaron Herrera, Abobasi, Carter Vickers, Brooks Lennon, Josh Sargent, Luca De La Torre has been on our radar for quite some time. I never go back and actually look at all these to see. And then the 2019 squad, who also got to the quarterfinal, that's when you get Serginho Des, Mark McKenzie, Chris Richards, Arajo, Soto, Pomical, Timo Weah, uh, Conrad De La Fuente, Ledesma, Yanez. You know, so interesting, dude. It's it's well, but I love still, the consistency, but but yeah, still, there's no there's no guarantee that if you're good at that age, that means you're going to make a jump to the top team, the full team, though. Yeah, it mean, it means a few things. I mean, U.S. soccer as a whole is still developing their talent identification and talent development programs around the country, right? You saw, I mean, when you went into the golden generations of Germany, setting up the regional training centers, the U S is doing the same thing. Belgium had their same sort of mechanisms when they had a big failure. Mm-hmm. They reanalyzed how do we make sure that we're not just identifying players. And I, and I say identifying differently than development because identifying was what happened to Clint Dempsey called into a U 20 camp uh, while he was in college. It was local in, in Houston and came in and then never let it go. And that kicked off the trajectory of his entire career. And I believe that because at the time, it would have been really hard otherwise for Clint to make a statement or show up anywhere or get the attention. And he would have gone missing. And players went missing all the time then. And Clint was part of national teams of the past and and then kind of got his call up and then became a completely different player overnight. Whereas now, you have players in professional environments where you have uh, more and more professional or full-time. I think MLS has five full-time like scouts in, in their markets that are like full-time only job is to like look within their territory and territories are, are going to be uh, opening up again uh, soon, by the way. I don't know if you've, you've, you've heard much about that, which is really interesting towards, towards player recruitment into these clubs, but they're, they're, you're increasing this, the scouting of these players. Then you get them into these, these professional systems and then you're developing them in a way that we're seeing now in terms of just the maturity of the player now versus before, but it is still Jimmy, like you said, still a little bit of this like consistency of players being identified early and then work through with, you know, some players sprouting and, and finding their way in, which is great, but it's also, you know, 
you, you start to wonder like, is this the best pool? How could this be so consistent through? Shouldn't there be more and more players pulling into the pool at later dates? Or is our scouting so good that we're identifying them young, developing them, and those are the players, you know, rising to the occasion every time? Well, I think there had to be some type of response from U.S. soccer with regard to not qualifying for two consecutive Olympics, which I think is an incredible failure yeah. on our part not to be able to get results or create players that can bigger, win. Bigger than, I think, not qualifying for a World Cup. Men's World Cup, by the way. It, it, yeah, and, so, and it, you think so? You think it's bigger? I think it's bigger because not but, qualifying for like a World a, Cup. This shows like there's it? a fundamental flaw somewhere within something happened yeah. with our development in like a certain age group. Oh, we have a missing generation for sure of 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 players, and and I, there, there's a window of of time that there's the missing generation that was actually the group that should have been the stars of the 2018. So it's all interlinked. Yeah, uh, the ones that failed for Olympics and U20s uh, in is. the past or failed at the U17 level, but. I think it's a bigger failure. Can we just blame Freddie Adu? I just want to blame yeah, Freddie yeah, Adu. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, we'll just we'll just put, we'll just chalk it up as as that. Yeah, whatever. But, he's, he's, he's got that on his. But show. but you know the, this uh, this this generational gap. I think it's bigger because every country eventually doesn't qualify for a World Cup. It's inevitable, and the U.S. never really had a recipe for for going beyond qualifying for a world cup, right? It was like, let's see how the draw is. Let's hope for the best. Let's have discipline. Let's hope to get out of our, get a good group, get out of that group. We get to the round of 16. Let's mm -hmm. hope for the best. Let's get to, you know, and you compete. It's not so much hopeful. I'm, I'm kind of downplaying the quality of the team, but it wasn't this recipe of player development of how you're going to actually compete and, and be on the same level as the other teams versus you get Spain in a quarterfinal we're, we're playing for our lives, just hoping for the best to, to, to get out of that, get a chance, win, smash and grab job versus, hey, how do we match up with Spain? Now, we might not ever play the way Spain plays, but we could match up in a game. And I think that illuminated that. Whereas at the youth level, there it illuminated the issues of player development up to that point and, and our inability to, one, the players playing with fear. We saw that with the last Olympic qualifying when, when I, I, was it Honduras, right? That took it to us. Yeah, um, they did. And, they took it, and, they took it to us. Yeah. And it was just pure. It wasn't on quality. It wasn't on paper. It wasn't on it's matching like up. It was purely on fight. It was purely on you, you will not get past us today. And, and, and that's what the U S had that mentality. And I think I, uh, for a long time to qualify for world cups, but I think those failures at the youth level are bigger than the world cup because that, yeah, because you and I are on the inside, we know how big of a failure that is. And and for us, it'll always be bigger than the youth side. But the youth ones are are were more illuminating to me as to the issues that we were facing on player development that needed to be addressed that I think uh, Jurgen was busy addressing on the youth level. He did do a great job on, on those things. And what MLS Academies and MLS Next, MLS Next Pro, USL, and everyone else are developing these professional environments that are that are that are building a smoother transition for player development into the professional ranks, into the elite professional ranks. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess part of the conversation to be had is even with this amount of talented players that are starting to bubble under the surface and break through, as we're seeing with our full team and with our U twenties and the success we've had so far in the CONCACAF championship, we got the knockout rounds game against Nicaragua's U twenties on Saturday. That'll be the next round. It feels like only 1% of that group will still be, the ones that break through, right? I mean, you're still going to, the, the top one of 1% are the ones that are going to actually go and have that long career and be that like mm -hmm. one success that that one team or that youth academy can be like, yeah, that's our guy. You know, we developed that guy, but how many other players, quote unquote, and this feels pretty harsh, but have to fail to have that one or two players that actually break through and have that success. It's, it's, 
it's it's fascinating to me and obviously what's deemed success and failure anyway because if you brought a player along or if you raise the talent pool then ultimately all boats rise and now you've raised the level to a point where we're we're creating players that are even better than they were before because of these environments that you're talking about, Heath Pierce. Well, I think the world of failure becomes different, right? Is before you used to have a U20 team that was full of college players, right? And you had your few pros at 18, 19. That was even was going in our, our full team for the 90 World Cup. We could argue. We had yeah. I mean, we had, I, 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 you know, exactly. And and so I think failure uh, it shifts the, the 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 way in which we we measure failure. Failure to reach the men's national team and have a career, fine. When I go back to my U17s, we still had Justin Mapp, who was a super talent, played some games with the national team. Santino Quaranta played games with the national team. Eddie Johnson had a fantastic national team career. Uh, Chad Johnson, uh, Chad Johnson, Chad Marshall. Uh, oh, Joe, Joe Cinco. We'll, we'll Joe get him Cinco. on the show later. Now. Try, try, Jimmy, uh, with, <laughs> with with the help of you as his agent to to get on at SKC and 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 get into the national team. But like a number of players still got through to the national team at some point in their career. But we're now going to see a, a different level of player that's going to box out a good pro, a player that was my level, right? Uh, that that had th the amount of games that I had in the national team may not be uh, as easy to get into. You look at some of the other bigger countries around the world in terms of the, the player development, and there are top... Um, what's his name? The center back at uh, for, for, for Man City. Um um, Vincent Company? No, no, yeah, no. Uh, he, he was he was the first. Ruben of like Diaz? The, no. Um, John Stones? No. The Laporte. other one, the, Laporte. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Laporte was <laughs> Laporte was playing at Manchester City, and not getting a call up to the national team, right? Like, Matt, could you imagine? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, there is there is there is just this this um reality at a certain point when you have the depth look at england right four or five deep in every position and then you're going to have right a back striker. right yeah exactly and you're going to have you're going to have these positions like striker where there's only room for one and you have this big superstar and then everybody else is sort of filling in around it as a as a winger or a support or whatever and we're going to get that to that point at the at, at our national team level and you're going to still have a generation after generation of top level players that will play in big european clubs that will play in be the stars of their teams in Major League Soccer or Liga Mekis that are not going to be uh, in the national team, whether it's uh, depth or whether it's system-based or whatever, and that those players will still go on to have big careers, make a lot of money, uh, but it's no longer going to be just this one group going up and the rest sort of fail or don't become professionals or are floating around reserve leagues somewhere. Well, just so everybody knows, we're going to continue to have these types of conversations around the youth game and the development game and, and with the lower leagues, quote unquote, lower leagues here in this country throughout the summer and, and you know, leading up to the World Cup, because it's all important pieces of the puzzle for us to have success at the highest levels. Everything underneath has to be doing its job as well. So I just want to make sure that that's thrown out there after you hit like and subscribe and hit subscribe on podcast platforms or follow us on Twitter, ISWT pod. Now the USU 20s play Nicaragua in the round of 16 on Saturday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern is kickoff. McGlynn, Luna, Tyler Wolf, who I actually knew and he was a little tiny guy when Josh Wolf was my teammate with Kansas City is uh, and Cade Cal all carrying yellows, but apparently they reset into the knockout rounds. So no yellow card issues there. And then the winner of U.S. Nicaragua will most likely play against Costa Rica and the winner, the winner of Costa Rica and Trinidad. Now, I did a little try to find as much research as I could on the Nicaraguan U-20s. There's not a lot out there, to be honest. I mean, they were one of the four teams that got a buy into this. They played in a tournament back in November, which gave them that opportunity. If they won that, they got a buy into the round of 16. They got they beat Guyana 5-0, Cayman Islands 2-1, and the U.S. Virgin Islands 7-0. It's really hard to know what to make of that. 
Yeah, Jimmy, uh, real quick on that, give people a reset on for those that 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 are maybe haven't heard any of our our U twenty conversations in the past about qualifying directly into the round of sixteen uh, for this tournament. Yeah, it's it's there's so four basically, teams. Yeah, so basically the teams that didn't have to play in the group stages here. Yeah, so so I, I for me I'm I'm it feels very concacafy. I don't even know. I mean, you might know more inside on it than, or, than I do, but there were some preliminary tournaments that allowed you if you won these preliminary tournaments, then you would just skip the group stages. And I actually think that hurts from a, from a competitive standpoint, I think that hurts Nicaragua <laughs> because the U.S. now have three games. They're kind of figuring out their team and who the best eleven is going to be. And and you know, is it Shakiris? Is it is it Diego Luna who's going to be playing next to Edelman and and uh, Aronson in the midfield? You know, or should we go Cade Cal? Or is, I mean, who's who's going to be all all these decisions get to be figured out and reinforced in your group stages? And now Nicaragua just shows up in the round of sixteen. I actually think that does them a disservice. But there were four teams that qualified automatically to that, and Nicaragua was one of them. I don't even know all the machinations behind it. I don't. Do you know Heath? No, I don't, I don't. I don't know necessarily know that, but it is this sort of trade-off. I would guess it's financial at the youth youth national team level uh, to make sure that you're inclusive of 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 uh, all of Concacaf members, to, but allowing there to be some sort of mechanism or bonus or gamification of participating in these regional tournaments that aren't just getting you into something because that can be a pretty big cost for a lot of the nations around CONCACAF to be able to have to go to something and then go to the next thing for, for, you know, um, multiple days and weeks and, and only to, you know, potentially not get out. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming there's something to do with the financials as well as, as mm. well as um, understanding that the dominant teams in CONCACAF are probably going to get out of their groups anyway. So it's not a huge risk. Uh, uh, to, yeah, to true. Good have point. Face somebody in the round. Of no, I like that. That's probably right. Quarterfinals. Yeah. So, so all but two of Nicaragua's 20 players played domestically in Nicaragua. Uh, the remaining two play in Costa Rica. Seven of the team's players play on the same club, Real Esteli, and they finished second in their Clausura in Nicaragua this past season. Their midfielder, Kilan Batiste, is probably the best of those seven, so probably a player that the U.S. have to pay attention to. But if you have fever for the U.S. men's national team, Heath and I and Charlie, whenever he decides to show up, or maybe he won't, he'll show up on, on Friday when his yacht mm -hmm. is, is docked somewhere. But um, we really highly encourage you to check a, take a look at our U20s. And, and the reason is because the future is bright. These guys are going to break into our full national team. And doesn't it, isn't it cool to know who the players are before they become, quote-unquote, the players? So speaking of that, Heath, and before we get into some Zach Steffen and Weston McKinney news and take our first break, is there anybody on this U20 team that you think could – break into the full team relatively soon maybe not maybe not for this world cup but bit starting in 2023 after they play in this world cup the u20 world cup in indonesia that could maybe do it because i think Cade cal has already got a cap right mm -hmm. he played against bosnia on that friendly back in december he's got the body for sure i mean that guy is a grown-ass man he's just got he's got a lot of jordan morris in him um you know in terms of being able to drive in from either wing powerful breakthrough yeah, Clark, players another Cade, Caden, Caden, and Cade. Yeah, it is funny the whole generational thing of like these kids' names now uh, uh, of everybody. Cade, Cade, Quinn, and, uh, Paxton, Caden. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. uh, but but um, if there's one one player, I mean, it's it, again prefacing this with there hasn't been a ton of time played by a lot of these players. Maybe Obed Vargas. Obed Vargas, he hasn't even been in yet. He's coming in now, so he definitely has the upside. But his quality's there. He's already quality's there. The yeah. So, you know. so he's he's got the potential potential. Uh, Diego Luna has got the potential to be next to Paxton Aronson played as a false nine within this, within this camp so far in the short time that he did it, he looked really good 
in that spot. So he he has the potential. Uh, I saw uh, Tyler Wolf. Um, he he's got the potential. I saw his 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 brother even has uh, has potential. Who's who's I think a younger brother uh, to break mm-hmm. into the national team. So all these players I think have actually the the um, uh, two players that I would say. Uh, um, Sakiris, um, yeah, Sak- Sak- yeah, he, he, yeah. he hopefully gets more time. He's not getting much time, uh, in San Jose. If he gets a, a good run of games, I think he's got a ton of upside and, and it has the youth in a couple of years to catch up with there. And then the, uh, Pukstas that's playing at hate split in Croatia. He's, he's another one. Very, very calm on the ball. Um, really mature with the ball has and just has some of those tools as a, as a midfielder that you can go okay yeah i can see how this could translate to the next level up and so it's really hard to say um yeah, I know, I know. you know That's again we're, this you is before this, like you've been yeah. around this before you've experienced it yourself personally and just didn't know if there was any any traits that we should be looking at with regard to uh this kid's this kid's got it yeah no i mean it, it, again i i want to see them against a stiffer opponent, which we'll see throughout the rest of this tournament in the knockout stages where there's a little more pressure on the line and you're going to have to roll out your best team now if you're U.S. Yeah, soccer. Yeah. And you're going to have to see some of these players really challenge themselves against players their age. Um, and, and so now they're coming from environments where they're playing against adults, you know, in, in their professional environments. And now can they be dominant at their, at their level? And I think that will show a lot about their ability to not just make it into the full national team, because I think there is still a pretty big leap for some of these guys, but also become regulars, um, starters in, in their club teams. Imagine, is, there a player, is there a player for you? that, that I don't know. I mean, I mean, you look at this and you think, well, there's a physical component to this that, that has to matter. I know that if you can play, you can play. It doesn't matter your age, right? I, I get that and I, and I buy into that for a, a good portion of it. But there's still a physical component where if you can play, but you can get muscled off the ball, you know, I mean, there still has, I don't know, that has to be brought into it. So Cave Cal just edges it a little bit because he's got the physical component. I hosted something here for the earthquakes and mm-hmm. that dude <coughs> towered over me. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm like, what, what were your parents feeding you when you were a kid? I mean, the guy is a horse, you know? And so I just, I was just kind of marveling at how big the guy was. But Jimmy, I, the thing I like about Cade, and I'll, and I'll let you uh, give your take, is he exploded onto the scene for the earthquakes. And then he was linked to Barcelona. He was linked to all these clubs. And uh, what I like about the situation we're in now is that he sort of disappeared back into his club and look how young he still is. And he's still contributing. He still had a good season last year as a, as a, as a teenager. And, and now he's able to focus on becoming a top level, consistent professional to see what the next level of his game is. Where again, you go back five years and he would have been the talk of the town. He would have been hyped up. He would have been overhyped and then destined uh, for, for failure. Yeah. Right, considering right. the pressure we would have put on his shoulders. And now you have all these guys in these environments where you might not even have heard of some of these U 20 players, but they're top level pros uh, and their top, top level potential. But we're not overhyping them in a way where they're they're in professional environments. They're focusing on their development, getting games with their club teams, and that's going to be the thing that breaks them through uh, to the next level. Yeah, I just just for the laughs. I mean, I think he's good enough, and he'll probably get a shot. But Pax and Aronson, just to see two Aronsons out on the field at the same time buzzing around, would be kind mm-hmm. of funny because those guys are super super high energy. So I assume we're going to see some component of that at some point in the they, future they, they did a they did a thing at at the philadelphia union where they were asking these young the ysc academy kids which is the school for for the philadelphia union academy uh like, who, whose position would you want to like what position or who whose jersey would you want to take or who's whatever and they asked paxton that and this is when brendan was still there 
And he said, I want to take, I want to basically take my brother's position from him. And that was like <laughs> his, his, his answer dead seriously. Uh, a little bit different than Brendan, a little bit more hard, hard headed, uh, a little bit more of that sort of, you know, swaggy side to him uh, that, that I think is really interesting, but I he, love it. he said he I wanted to it. take his brother's position from him, which is, which is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And that's the mentality that we're going to need if we're ever going to win the World Cup, baby. So from Paxson Aronson's attitude to the soccer gods ears, let's make it happen. All right, everybody, we're going to take our first and only break of In Soccer We Trust. When we come back, we're going to talk about some Zach Steffen news, some Weston McKinney news and some news from FIFA about them expanding the rosters for the World Cup. Don't go anywhere. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this, too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back, everyone, to In Soccer We Trust. I'm Jimmy Cream Cheese Conrad alongside Hollywood <laughs> Keith Pierce. Uh, We're still waiting on Charlie Chuck Wacken Davies to step off his yacht, sipping champagne to join us for this one. If he doesn't actually arrive, we'll see him tomorrow. Because we have another podcast tomorrow coming at to you live, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. And uh, it's going to be a good one. I'm not, I'm going to tease it. I'm just going to leave it out there. It's going to be a good one. Like always, we're coming to you three times a week. Make sure you drop us a follow on Twitter, ISWT pod. That would be very much appreciated as we continue to grow this amazing community on all the platforms available. All right, let's get into some interesting news from around the world with the U.S. men's national team player pool. We'll talk about Zach Steffen because apparently one of the top goalkeepers in the Bundesliga from Armenia Bielefeld, who got relegated last year with George Bellow, he is looking to go on a free transfer to Manchester City, Heath Pierce, mm -hmm. and his first name is Stefan, which is kind of yeah. funny. So they're going to trade, maybe potentially trade one Stefan for another, but that's not good news for Zach Stefan. And maybe this is forcing his hand to go find some minutes elsewhere. Because we're also seeing the same thing at Nottingham Forest where Ethan Horvath, they're, they're looking for other goalkeepers to come in as well now that they got promoted to the Premier League. And Horvath seems to be kind of second or third choice to them. But let's let's talk about Zach Steffen first. What what do you do if you're Zach Steffen at this point? If you're hearing or seeing this news? I mean, you're, you're in a tough spot because he signed a deal till through 2025. And, and I'm sure it's really good money. And that is a tough thing to to take into consideration. Having said that, Zach Steffen's 27 years old now and needs to establish himself as a starter within a team somewhere. Now, you and I both know goalkeepers, they have a little more longevity. 27 is probably 25 in terms of a, a field player. And, you know, that age isn't that alarming for 27. But you are nearing that edge where you need to be establishing yourself as a starter. I think the comfortable situation he was in as a backup and getting games that I wouldn't say it's comfortable because I'm sure he doesn't love being a backup. 
um, made it an easier decision for him to stick around because they were supporting him and they liked him. Now you bring another goalkeeper, the, the writing might be on the wall for you to have to force yourself out of your comfort zone and try something new. Now the hard part becomes like, is it a transfer? Is it a loan? You know, what's the deal? We've seen City similarly to, to, to Chelsea uh, talking about Jack Harrison, talking about um, who was it? Um, uh, Eric Palmer Brown going into the City football group system and then being loaned out. That could be a, a, another case for Zach Steffen. Uh, he was doing well when he was at Dusseldorf. He, he, he is a good quality goalkeeper, but that time between starting matches consistently could, could become longer and longer. That I think it's actually a perfect situation should he find the right club uh, to at least head out on another year loan and then figure out from there. What are your thoughts? Uh, that's a good question. Just to give some more context, Stefan or uh, Ortega is his name, 29-year-old German, and uh, had a great great season despite Bielefeld getting relegated. Did his part. Unfortunately, the rest of his team could not. And I, I, I just feel like when I think about it, I don't think Pep Guardiola cares about your feelings. Like He gives you enough time, and if you're not the guy, he's going to go find another guy that can come in and do the job. So I guess my question to everybody is, if you're Zach Steffen, what would you do? <clears throat> and where would you go? And hit us up on Twitter if you're listening to this later, ISWT Pod. And I apologize for all my coffee. I don't know what the hell is going on here. It's like 85 million degrees because mm -hmm. it's like a heat wave where I am right now. But that shouldn't really impact my coffee. Anyway, <laughs> I feel like General Grievous for all you Star Wars fans out there. So <laughs> what I want to say is, He's got to make a move. This is Force's hand. He clearly maybe intimated that he was looking to make a move to go get some minutes because I don't know why mm. City would potentially activate this, this spot when they don't really need this spot. When they had it covered, as you said, he got the contract to 25. So I wonder where he's going to go. And if he had an option, where? What, I mean, what? what he's, he's done the Dusseldorf. He's done... You know, he's played at these teams that aren't great. He just gets shelled the whole time. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I I just wonder which team is going to take him at this point. <clears throat> yeah, it's tough. I mean, when you're looking at Stefan coming in um, or uh, Stefan or Ortega coming in, this is a guy coming off of a season where he was widely regarded as one of the better goalkeepers in the league and, uh, you know, had a few dabbles into the youth German national teams and has been sort of a, a consistent goalkeeper for that time. Wouldn't you rather have like take the names out of it and the nationalities out, out of that? Wouldn't you love to bring in your second goalkeeper who's coming off of a great, what I think would be a great season, obviously relegated. So there's, there's, there's always more to the story, but a player that's coming in with a, a, a bunch of actual match experience to sit behind your starting goalkeeper and know that, the FA Cup or the League Cup, uh, which is important for you, and they've got to be called upon, or upon an injury of 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 your goalkeeper could step in and 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 be ready and have the experience to tap into. Zach Steffen hasn't ever had that. Like he does have some experience. I don't want it to seem like he got there when he was 19 and now he's 21 type of thing. He's got professional experience as a starter, but uh if you're a city and you're gonna get a player potentially um on on a on a cheap transfer, I think that's a pretty Pretty solid deal for them. And now Zach Steffen, who wants him, uh, to your question there, I think he's got a lot to offer a club, but I think it's got to be more than a single season loan. Probably he's got to be a move that someone can say, hey, this is going to be our goalkeeper for another couple seasons as we build this roster. A new coach comes in and says, I need right, to shore right. up a few positions. I know this guy's got the ability. I've seen him when he's playing regularly, how good he can be. I've just got to get him the run of games or at least the ability to play himself out of a position. Um, and so I think there's a lot of clubs at, at the highest level considering the Bundesliga, uh, you know, again, bottom half of the Premier League table, 
uh, thinking beyond that into, about, you know, where about, else? Could be. Uh, I mean, some people say loan back to MLS, maybe La Liga. He just needs minutes, right? I mean, it didn't, it didn't hurt Matt Turner to be playing regularly in MLS. Yeah, he just needs minutes. Now, I think I think that he could be in a situation where, where he should be. And I think our goalkeeper should be in situations where he should go in as the one, but somebody challenges you as a two. You know, mm-hmm. we've uh, I played really at, uh, I don't know, two clubs. Actually, both of the clubs that I was at in – all three of the clubs that I was at in – no, two of the three I was at in Europe. Um, there were goalkeepers that were challenging for the starting spot all season long. Now, you had a starter for a long portions of that, but there was always somebody that was showing like, man, they might be ready. They might be ready. If they get their chance, they might not look back. And I fear you don't necessarily have that depth or pressure in Major League Soccer just yet at the goalkeeper position because of the way the budgets are set. You're going to probably spend big on your, your one and, and have a solid two, but not have two that are like – you know, one's uh, an eight and the other one's like a six closing in on a seven in terms of their ability. I'm just using uh, arbitrary numbers. But so I think I think our goalkeepers would be good in those situations where they come in as the one and they have to challenge and work hard and fight for that spot by performances week in and week out. Like we've some seen from some of our other goalkeepers that have been in similar situations in Europe in the past. OK, so what I'm going to jump in and say that Zach Steffen only played nine games in all competitions last season. The one that everybody remembers is the FA Cup semifinal where he made a few mistakes and they ended up losing to Chelsea. So I see somebody saying, well, he should go to Leeds and join all the other Americans with Jesse Marsh. (laughs) But would City loan him out to another team in the Premier League? I'm not so sure. I saw somebody say a shout for Burnley. Dude, the championship is tough. It's rough. I think that could be a decent league for him to prepare himself, especially because... Mm -hmm. <clears throat> there's been some knocks on his game about him coming off his line. And I feel like there's a lot of crossing. There's a, a lot of physicality to the championship and, and maybe he could benefit from getting those types of valuable minutes, knowing that he's going to play 40, 45 games. Well, of course, leading up to the world cup, he'll only get what 15 to 20 at that point, but still that's going to probably sharpen him up more than sitting behind the bench and watching or, or trying to save free kicks from Bernardo Silva. You know what I mean? Or, or trying to save practice shots from early in Holland, which I think does have its value. Don't get me wrong, but, but, it's something about those in-game decisions. And the player that has that, I think, is the one that's going to start between the six for us, Heath. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Tim Howard was fantastic once he settled in at Everton. And Everton wasn't Manchester United. Uh, not even close in terms of the level and the quality that Manchester United had. But it was the place that that Tim Howard was at his best consistently. And I think Zach Steffen's got to find that place. You know, we saw Brad Gazan when he got into, finally was broken at Villa and 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 found his level of where... You might not be Man City. You might not have the glory that goes behind that. But there, there are other clubs where you can be on the winning side of a season, not necessarily winning trophies, but be getting better, be a consistent starter, be a contributor to the team, well-loved by the fans, uh, but still be a- at an elite or international level. And I think he's got to be able to find that next thing. And, and hopefully there's enough options for him coming down the pipeline that he can make that right decision that's not based on um, you know, needing to to line up with the financials of what City want for for either a loan or a move. Okay, so now let's pivot over to Weston McKinney. And the reason we brought him up is because Paul Pogba has been confirmed. He's going back to Juventus on a free, which is a fantastic business by Juve, by the way, that they sold him to United six years ago for $100 million, And now he's coming back for free. That is ridiculous business by the old lady. So shout out to them for that. However, friend of the show, Matteo Benetti, and obviously friend of ours, who is a Serie A expert for all things CBS. He says that the midfield he thinks is going to see from Juventus moving forward is Pogba, Locatelli, and Zachariah, who came over 
from the Bundesliga last season, but came over probably still a little bit hurt, never 100%, but you could see his value when he did get mm -hmm. to play. And so I tweeted back at him after seeing this that he spelled McKinney wrong because where does Weston McKinney fit into this? It seemed like he won over mm -hmm. Max Allegri after he got healthy and proved that he could be clutch and, and show up in big moments. Uh, the the soap, Supercopa goal that, that Weston scored uh, in the final against Inter is, is a highlight of that before Alexis Sanchez came in and ruined the party right before penalties. But there's something about Weston McKinney. We've discussed it at the country level, and he's scored some clutch goals, but he also has done it for Juve. And I wonder what happens to Weston McKinney now that Pogba signs, because I feel like they kind of play in a not a similar way, but but they have some similarities and maybe have a, the same starting position under Allegri in that midfield. So are you worried for Weston McKinney now that Pogba's back? Oh, yeah, certainly. But, I mean, Weston McKinney was sort of being linked for a while, whether those are true or not. Sometimes that that kicks things into motion for you mentally to know that your your next move or your next option might be out there. We know that there's been continued strong interest from 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 Spurs even after Spurs took uh you know what's his name um uh Kulisevsky yeah. and and uh I believe somebody else Bentaker um, Bentaker yeah and it seemed like okay that option was dead there was some sort of transaction there it shouldn't be happening anymore but uh that one could could kick off again um and then for Weston, Weston is a is a star. He's a big player. He's a quality player. But I still wonder where he fits into a midfield system, right? Is he your attacking midfielder? Is he your two-way midfielder? Mm -hmm. He's got so many different qualities uh, across the board. You know, the consistency of his qualities of what he could bring into a team and where you can play him in the midfield are, are so high that he brings you options in a team. But I, but you know, I don't think he contributed in the form of goals and assists that we had hoped. He's got the X factor. He'll always score you the big goal. But can he do it consistently throughout a season? I think that's what Juventus hoped he'd bring a little bit more of, but wasn't. Obviously, was injured uh, some last season. And so when I think about him, I think more of that two-way midfielder, the the late runner. That's maybe doesn't have the same um, pressures of of needing to you know late runner in the box, things like that. But needing to be in the box on every attack or needing to be a catalyst for an attack. And with Paul Pogba coming in. You start to have a little bit of those the the duplicative nature of of some of their skill sets, except it's Paul Pogba, right? It's no longer competing with 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 Bintaker or Rabio or right, or, right, or, right, or, right. or or Zachariah. Yeah, there's, there's always somebody um, right in the biggest yeah. clubs. But it's this is a, this is this is a club legend, um, so to speak, beloved by fans. And on his day, when Pogba figures it out, when Pogba plays for the national team, when Pogba. Uh, you know, he is unbelievable. And so I think that that doesn't bode well necessarily for Weston McKinney. Uh, but competition, Weston McKinney's always seemed to be in a in a, a competitive environment from being a teenager at Schalke where he's worked his way into the starting lineup and and was a breakout player to to now at, at Juventus where people didn't expect, people expected that to be like, oh, depth player, depth player. And he was a consistent starter. So he seems to do yeah. well uh, with competition around him. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm I'm curious because I feel like these two moves with regard to Stefan and McKinney or the clubs making these other moves puts the squeeze on them and they're going to have to sink or swim, right? Or or move teams and find uh, a different option or possibility to make, make sure they're getting valuable minutes. Weston, for me, seems like the type of player that even if he's not playing a lot, when he puts on the red, white, and blue, he's going to show up and, and represent. But we still need him to be sharp. And when he's not as sharp, to your point, which is why he wasn't on your top 10 list, if he's not playing a lot of minutes, he's not as sharp, we're not getting the best version of Weston McKinney. Agreed? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, Weston McKinney's been through a lot in the last year, and we've seen him come out on top of all of that, only to have injuries um, set him back on, on, a, on a personal level and on the national team level. 
but when he's at his best, he's he's so good. He's so sharp. There's an there's an action. There's an activity to him, a a, a, a speed, a pace, a, a cadence to his game that mm-hmm. it's just so so fun to watch. And if he if he's less than that, uh, he can sort of fall into the category of just being one of the eleven players on the field. That even Weston as as one of the eleven on the field on on an off day is still a high quality player. He's still a good player. He's still quality enough to play at Juventus. He's just not the star that we've seen of Weston McKinney, where Weston McKinney is a standout player where if you're not, if you're a non-American watching Juventus play and when Weston's having one of his good games, you go, man, that guy can play as opposed to being like, oh, it's another player within in the squad. You know, we there's four or five players in every squad around the world that you look at sometimes and you're like, eh, it's whatever. Um, you know, even some of the biggest clubs, you don't see them as stars. Weston McKinney has that star potential. Yeah, I'm going to agree with your thoughts and then with Ren also who says this is a good, good problem for Weston because he still has so much p- potential and this will only elevate his game. It's going to have to. Otherwise, mm-hmm. he's going to find a different situation altogether. But I think he'll be up for it. He's seen, he seemed to have proved every time he's got his back against the wall that he'll figure out a way to make sure that he's starting and win the trust of the coach and the other players. And uh, that's a good pattern to have as a professional athlete. All right, last story before we let you go. FIFA has officially announced that they're going to expand the World Cup rosters to 26 so if you're Jordy Mihalovic or Joe Scally or Shaq Moore or George or Bello, Heath Pierce in 2010, Heath Pierce, Jordy, <laughs> this, is, this is great, great news oh, for some yeah. of our players that are on the bubble of all bubbles. But this is not something that's all that surprising, Heath. I mm-hmm. You could see it coming along with the five subs. I think it's a smart move. You're asking these players to play a lot of games, especially in the run-up to this particular competition and when it is from November to December being part of the Champions League coverage for CBS, my flex of the day, I saw the schedule for the group stages. It is intense that they have to play basically two group stage games every two weeks and then two week off and then two weeks. It's it's just everything's going to get crammed in. And that's that's Europe and that's your domestic, but then you also have your domestic cups and it just gets pretty messy. So I can, I can appreciate and understand why they're going this route. And uh, for your sake, I wish they would have done it back in 2010, Heath, because you probably would have made the roster. Probably not still. You know? <laughs> I was in the final 30, but you go to 26, so you get one in every one more in every line. Yeah, maybe because uh he would have taken had... Chad Marshall instead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You get one in each <laughs> line, and he would have taken he would have taken three more strikers. Um no, I look, I, I think this is this is good for some of these, but and and obviously a conversation for another day because I want us to talk about who we think fits into this, you know, 23 to 26 range or even 20 to 26, because there's probably 15 players fighting for six spots right now um and some of them much closer than others and i think that's a good topic of of debate for for you me and charlie but also to uh, to think about will the 24th 25th and 26th player be contributors to this to this world cup or will they be you know covered because you're going to use what you have and that might give you the reason to bring in a player that changes things so i think it's great for the team i think it's great for you know, a number of these, you know, your your um, Eric Palmer Browns, your Cameron Carter Vickers, your Mark McKenzie's in the back line. Again, you named some of the midfielders, some of the attackers. There's a number of players now that that have a renewed probably hope and belief that I, I might be on the bubble. But now with 26, you're even talking about your beyond that of of maybe there's an experienced player you want to bring in that 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 you haven't in the last couple of camps like a Sebastian Legette or something oh like I thought you're gonna say Christian Roldan uh yeah. I mean it could be it could be I mean I, you gotta Greg say that a, you, you, you there is you gotta use them for something and I don't think you're bringing in Gabriel Slanina as a, as one of your last three because you're like well let's add a fourth goalkeeper because that would be good for experience like you're gonna find players that again you don't know what situations you'll find yourself in the group stages or in the knockout rounds or 
again, with that club schedule, you might have a few players drop dropping out through injuries, hopefully not. But like, again, scenario planning is an important part of filling out that that roster. And so, you know, one of these days soon on the pod, we're going to have to discuss that. Yeah, Jossie Zardes. Give a shout out to Jossie. Everybody's no, like, oh, no. don't say Jossie Zardes. <laughs> no, but uh, there was a shout there that said maybe Greg should bring in some U20s to get some experience. I think there's some value in that logic, but I also want to reference what Greg actually said when we got a chance to interview him on HQ was that if I'm going to bring some extra players, I'd probably bring one per line. Remember he told us that. Mm -hmm. And then, and then he added that when I brought up Hercules and Edson Buttle and Robbie Finley from 2010, they're all attacking players. I think he's going to leave some room for anybody that just gets super hot, you know, in the lead up six to eight weeks leading up to Mihailovich players like that, 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 that are just knocking on the door. Shoot. You could see something like an Obed Vargas blow up in this U 20 and, and be like, okay, this is a player that, I could maybe trust in, in a certain scenario or this would be hugely impactful uh, to have them because I know I could they, I could get something out of them if I use them, but this would be a massive thing for their for their career. Again, just throwing out random, you know, stream sure. of consciousness thoughts and we should really break it down. We should. We will have a, we'll day, have a proper, yeah. proper pod about this yeah. moving forward. But this is big news. It's not only dreams realized for certain players that maybe are on the bubble, but uh, it's also an opportunity for us to get some experience. And I, I don't mind that U20 shout, to be honest, uh, bringing yeah. in a, a kid that you think could potentially help us in 2026. It's almost in that, that when I was at the world cup in 2006, it was Casey Keller, Marcus Hanneman. And we brought old Tim Howard along. Now he had already been established. He wasn't going to start, but it was a good opportunity for him to see what a world cup looks like so that he can take the mantle over and, and to, and did it to great effect in 2010 mm-hmm. and, and 2014. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, this is, uh, an interesting. Yeah, I think I, Ricardo I just, Pepe's I, fine now. Can I just throw that yeah, out? Yeah, <laughs> I think I think Ricardo Pepe is fine. I think he's, you know, so long as he sorts out his club situation this season and is playing. Now, if yeah. he doesn't play for the next five months, I don't think he's going to a World Cup. But if he is in, if he's a starter, regardless of whether he's scoring or not, how heartbreaking would that? How heartbreaking would that be, though? It would. Be, it for sure it'd be would so, be. It'd but, be really heartbreaking for for me for him. We'd all be, I would be heartbroken for him. But it could be at that point a year since he scored a goal. Like, you know, I get he's it. still I young. Get it. It, 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 it would suck because, you know, I've kind of, I've kind of uh, hung my hat on his potential and my whole reputation. So I need him to come through on. Your reputation is in shatters anyway yeah. after not having Weston McKinney in your top 10 uh, list. You, no, you I know. Well, MLS listen, propagandist. <laughs> I don't, I don't get why I can't just leave him out because he barely played and like, you know, isn't the Weston McKinney we've seen when he's at his best. Just let him stay out for a bit. You know? he'll, work, all, he'll work his way back in. It's all Chuck's facial reactions while you're talking about your list. Mm-hmm. If you're watching yeah. on the YouTubes, of course. All right, everybody, we're going to call it a show. We are done for today. Thank you for hanging out with us with this U20 talk. Good luck to the boys in their continued run. We got to get to the finals so we can book our ticket to an Olympics. That would be a pretty big deal and obviously qualify for the U20 World Cup next summer. And and we want to make sure that you guys know how much we appreciate you. So make sure you hit like and subscribe on all the platforms where you can hit those types of buttons. We appreciate that. And we'll see you tomorrow, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. We're going to get after it some more with some more fun topics as we do. I'm going to leave them as a little teaser so I make sure that you guys know that you should come back tomorrow. So on behalf of producer Dez, producer Alex, Charlie Chuck Wagon, Davies, Hollywood Heath Pierce, I'm Jimmy Cream Cheese Conrad saying thank you for listening and watching In Soccer We Trust, and we will see you next time. Later.